As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider, and today. We're going to be talking about all the different tidbits the Thunder have been involved with in the last week. I'll be talking about Vasily Micic, his situation, and Anadalu FS, and if he could be going to NBA ranks. I'll be discussing the recent mock drafts we've seen from ESPN and Bleacher Report, what they had to say on the Thunder, some of the rumors circulating with the roster as well, and I'll be topping it all off with a talk about Al Horford and his journey to the NBA Finals, kind of the breakdown we'll see with him, and who, who used to play for the Thunder, will have some stakes in this final series of the 2021-22 season. And to top it all off, guys, I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. But starting things out with Vasily Micic. This is a story that came out probably 3-4 days ago. It's been about 6 days since I've hopped on the pod. My apologies. I've been working on a lot of different projects right now. So stay tuned. But Micic, it's not a 4 day thing that it's been circulating about his interest in joining the NBA. It's been 2 years and it's probably been even longer. Micic was one of the top stories in Bricktown last year. Now, granted, this is when the Thunder had the sixth pick. They struck out in the lottery, and truthfully, there wasn't a ton to talk about. Now, there's a lot more on the palette, but Micic was a prime story, and you heard starting in about May of last year that there was some interest that Micic would make the jump to the NBA level, and with Micic, he was the EuroLeague MVP last season, won MVP the Final Four last year, Basically was one of the top players in the EuroLeague, which is the second best league in the world. And he's been doing that at a consistent basis. So they got Gabrielle Deck last year. Why not bring on Vasilier, you know, and try to orchestrate some sort of trade? Struck out last year, returned to Anadalu, and he dominated yet again. Teamed up with Shane Larkin, former first round pick from the Celtics. They won again. Back-to-back champions in the EuroLeague. And in the semifinals, he drained this, like, wacky buzzer beater. Backboard, drilled it, sent them to the finals, and ultimately was what led them to taking that series yet again. But he's been playing at an insane level, one of the top players over in Europe. But he's on a contract with Anadalu right now. And it is a three-year contract that he signed last offseason He's estimated to make about three mil per year, so it's a three-year, nine million dollar contract. And there's opt-out clauses both this offseason and next offseason if he'd like to make the jump to the NBA. For the Thunder, they have stakes in this. Micic, he's 28 years old right now. He's 6'5, playing the point guard. Doesn't necessarily fit on your roster right now. Technically, I think he does. I think as a leader. In, in terms of basketball IQ, he would definitely upgrade your roster. But 
there's no incentive for Michich to move from being on the Mount Rushmore of EuroLeague players to likely playing a bench role for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And I don't think his situation is the same as Deck necessarily. I think Michich is regarded as a much better player than Deck, even when Deck initially signed his contract to join the Thunder last year. But Deck's situation went terribly awry. I don't think Michich's would be smooth sailing because you already have SGA, Josh Giddy, Lou Dort, Trey Mann, Teo, Ty Jerome if they decide to bring him back, potentially a draft pick or two at the guard spots. It's just too clustered. So I think in all likelihood, he'd need to be traded if he makes the jump to the league. And OKC got Michich actually in December of 2020. He was part of the deal that sent Al Horford to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Basically the care package from Philly where they were like, we made a giant mistake signing Horford. Four-year, $107 million contract. And they just couldn't keep him. He didn't work with Joel Embiid. So they traded Horford alongside the draft rights to Michich, Teo Maladone, and a protected 2025 first. I think it's one through four protected. And OKC shipped off Danny Green, Terrence Ferguson, and maybe Vincent Poirier in that deal, I believe. So OKC basically sent off nothing. And they got Horford and Michich as return. Now, Horford was the big chunk. Teo's nice, and you have a first-round pick. But the Michich... Uh, part of the deal is still a sneaky good asset. There's a reason why the Thunder wanted to get his draft rights. It's because they saw how well he was playing at the EuroLeague level. And for some teams, they could really use a player of his caliber. 6'5 guard, when you break down the statistics of him over his career, and you look at his player profile... The main thing you'll find is he is a very good passer. He's averaged 4.6 assists to 2.6 turnovers in his seven-season professional career overseas. You look at this year, averaging just around five assists per game. So he's gotten even better on that front. But he's very smart in terms of kind of envisioning the court. You're looking at cross-court passes, no looks. Those kind of packages and passes you saw from deck and maybe even Poku to some extent, I'd say Teo for sure, really translates over to what you would see in Michis' highlight reel. And he does it a lot more frequently. He's a much better passer. And I think that's what you really bank off of, just the way he's able to kind of pick apart the game and make your teammates better. Off the ball, he's also shown some signs. He shot 37% in his career from distance and about 84% at the free throw line. So this is a well-built guard. I think if you are a team looking to fill out that backup one, Michich is someone that you would have your radar on if he were to make the jump to the NBA level. And in order for Michich to make the jump and for him to play on a potential playoff team, the Thunder would have to trade his draft rights again. And that means that some sort of assets would need to be extracted from another team. I've seen online People thinking that Michich is going to get you a first-round pick. That an all-out bidding war will be created because of Vasile Michich. I don't think it's going to happen, guys. I think when you look at the landscape of just this situation, I don't want to say the landscape of the league, but definitely the situation between Michich and the Thunder, 
none of the leverage is on OKC's side right now. Like, they don't have anything to really provide. They have the ability to provide him with an NBA jump. That is for sure. But I don't think Michich would want to play for the Thunder right now. It comes with pros. I think when you look at it from a straight-on approach, though, it's kind of clear to see why Michich might have not went that route last year when I think it it would have been a better time for him to jump off of the MVP season. Didn't make the move. Maybe there weren't good enough offers. And Adalu gave him a pretty nice contract. But OKC's rebuilding, and I don't think Michich really wants to jump into that. If he's making the move, he wants to be in a really good position to continue playing his game and be contending like he has been. He wants to stay at the top of the food chain if he makes the move to the NBA. At least the team, I would imagine, you'd want to be at the top of the food chain. So, OKC needs to trade him. I don't think you can just trade him anywhere, though. Teams are not going to want to trade for draft rights unless they have a straight-up commit from Micic, where he's ready to just sign pen to paper on your contract. Because he could easily back out of it, return to the EuroLeague, and continue to be one of the stars overseas. There's not pressure for him to move. Honestly, I don't think there is that much. It's all up to him. So, I think Micic, if he's really committed, he's going to talk to his agency. His agency is going to connect with Sam Presti, and it's going to be a step-by-step approach to really get him to the right situation. Sort of like what we've seen with players such as Russell Westbrook. You give me a list of names, we're going to try to get you to one of those spots. That's how I think the Micic deal breaks down, and if a deal is to be had, I think the package would probably be a second-round pick or two. I don't know if you're going to squeeze much out, and maybe a package deal where it's sort of like the Philly trade. Maybe you can get a little bit more out of it, but in a one-player approach, I think you just get maybe a second-round pick or two, kind of as a kind gesture and being the middleman of sorts, but I don't know if the direct you know, landing spot of Michis would be in Oklahoma City. He dodged the opportunity last year. He could easily dodge it yet again. He's doing great overseas. The one kicker, Shane Larkin is a free agent this offseason. It looks like he is wanting to return back with Anadolu FS. If that's the case, maybe Micic would also like to return. In general, though, that team has a lot of players on expiring contracts or opt-out clauses, so they can completely tear down and go other directions. We'll see how things go. It's going to be just... I don't think it's going to be a development. It will just be a random news blurb on a Michich trade, I believe, just because it has been so up and down these last two seasons. But that's kind of the break on this in terms of, you know, why these rumbles pick back up again. Basket news writer Donatus Urbanis mentioned on his podcast that he is pondering the idea of joining the NBA. Urbanis is... A credible media member overseas. So I do think there is some weight attached. And that's why I brought this story to the table today. If you guys have any takes on Micic. Have you seen him play before? Maybe got uh, something to examine on his game. Maybe how he'd fit with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Make sure to let me know. And I will take a look at that. I want to take a look at some mock drafts as well. And some of the patterns we saw in the rumor mill from this week. In one second here. But first... 
I want to let you all know about a very special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the NBA playoffs? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more, and boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place the same game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game, and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. One series left, guys. Might be four games to get on this DraftKings deal, I'm sure. They'll have a really nice offer for you as we lead into the offseason. But, yeah, if you got any bets on the Celtics, the Warriors, now is the time to do it over there. Moving on to some bets you could maybe bank on come draft night. Uh, I'll just be talking about some of the different rumors that we've heard in the mill in the last week. And I'll get into this in a little bit, but I had a article for... Sports Illustrated that I published last week on Jaden Ivey, and I forgot how I worded the intro, but it was something like, the rumor mill has begun, and Jaden Ivey has been linked to the Thunder. Apparently someone took that, put it online without the article, it was passing it off like I was making a report here. I had that based off of the Yahoo reports we've gotten over the weeks that have said, you know, at the Combine, they uh, they liked him, and as you'll see today, there's still this rumors circulating of Ivy and the Thunder having some interest. So that's where I came with on that. Just clarifying, that wasn't me hearing anything new from any agent or front office executive. But going into the thick of it, from what we heard, we saw two big articles released today. One came from Bleacher Report, the other came from ESPN. And both of them dropped full mock drafts with some explanations on the first round picks Talked briefly in some second rounders and some of the stories that they've heard in the last week of coverage. And we'll start out here with Bleacher Report. We had their mock draft come out from Jonathan Wasserman today. And the main headline was why teams are nervous about Chet Holmgren. All right, man. Um, for the Thunder fan base, it's kind of been the the pick. Like if you check the consensus, Chet Holmgren going to the Thunder. At two is the consensus. So this headline, whatever. We'll gloss right past it. Just get into the meat and bones of things. And number one has Jabari Smith going to the Orlando Magic. This is basically what we've heard since the ping pong balls rattled. And you can't really hate on it. I think that, you know, all the information that is being told is that everyone believes Jabari Smith is going number one. 
If you're hearing that, you put him number one. And here's the quote from Wasserman. He said, Assumptions by scouts and executives all lean toward the Orlando Magic taking Smith. Shooting and defense give him an edge over Bancaro, and there's some fear from teams when it comes to the 195-pound Holmgren, who's also a year older than Smith. Scouts also expect Smith to help close the deal with the Magic during interviews and his likely visit to Orlando. You know, I think it's it's reasonable to go that route. When you break down the top shooter in this draft class, it is Jabari Smith by a wide margin. Now, there's some question marks in his ability, like his ability to play on the ball and create his own shots. I think Paulo is a much better shot creator in an isolation situation. But if you pair him with guys in Orlando that you're comfortable with the ball, let's say Jalen Suggs, you know, RJ Hampton, we can keep going into the um, the guys like Cole Anthony, Markel Fultz. If they think that is a solidified point guard group that can get him open, well, then you're good. You take Jabari Smith and you're going to be happy with it. I think that's fine. You always got to remember, it's really a three-man race. Could be a four-man race for number one. I think it's only a three, though, uh, between what you have in Smith, Holmgren, and then Bancaro as well. So... That's what you got with this one, that Smith is still sticking at the top of the board, and Chad Holmgren is also still at the top of the board, going number two to the Oklahoma City Thunder in this mock. And here's where the interesting ripple comes in yet again. You get the report from Bleacher Report that rival teams are suspecting OKC may have interest in Jaden Ivey. And here's the quote from that. He said, we've heard to keep an ear out for OKC's potential interest and Ivy at number two. While Holmgren has been perceived as a top three pick all season, some scouts prefer Ivy. His fit isn't ideal for a roster that already has Shea Gilgis Alexander and Josh Giddy, but a team who sees Ivy as a surefire star won't pass on him due to fit questions. Of course, there is a difference between OKC being high on Ivy and actually making the pick with Holmgren and Bancaro on the board. If I'm working... In the front office, I'd be raving about Jaden Ivey. Now, the fit is the question. And you got to really just move a lot of puzzle pieces in order, in order for Ivey to like smoothly transition into the Thunder. This is something that every pod will be talking about. I'll be talking about it even more as we get into draft night. But you break down the team right now. And it's basically what I said with Michich, but, you know, a lot more important, right? Ivey is a long-term fixture on your roster. If you're drafting him, you're picking him to be a potential cornerstone. He has so much offensive capabilities. He can fly in terms of penetrations. He's shown the ability to score off the catch. I really think he's a top five prospect, maybe even a top three prospect if I were to make a big board. But in terms of player fit, he's not going to trump any of the top three right now because they're in positions OKC has desperately needed to fill the last three seasons. The backcourt is basically the only spot that OKC has honed in on to this point. And they already have three really critical pieces and SGA, Josh Giddy, and Trey Mann. And even looking at that fourth option, Lou Dort could be, he was a shooting guard. Now he's a small forward, but he could be at the two. Aaron Wiggins could be at the two. Teo Maladone could be at the two if you get draft picks to slide at the guard spots they also are there now I think if you're picking Ivy you're not going to draft another guard most likely but you're already going to be super 
restrained in terms of the rotation. A top three, top five pick, in my eyes, should be starting for you. I think if you're going to keep them on the bench or not play them enough minutes, it could really stunt the development of them or the teammates around you. So you would probably have to make some trades in order to get Ivy to fit in perfectly. Do you move Giddy to the three, maybe offload Dort at that point? That might be the most, I don't know if I'd say the best option, but maybe I think that's the most reasonable one that you could find. Just at face value, though, there's a lot of hoops that you need to jump through. I really do like Ivy. I think that they should show interest. If they're not, you know, that's that's a shame because if you're that high up on the board, you should always evaluate everybody. It really doesn't matter what the needs are. But when it comes to getting in the podium, if they are really sold on any of the consensus top three players, I think you probably shoot that way, though. I think in the long run, you could see Ivy do some real damage. A lot of it comes down to situation and team fit, though, and that's the one big key to any sort of Ivy rumors that we're going to have on the table. Because of Ivy going to um, miss here at two, Houston has the option to take him at three. They go Apollo, and that leaves him on the board for number four for the Sacramento Kings. They take him, and Keegan Murray is number five for Detroit. One interesting development has been this story with Dyson Daniels. He's mocked eighth here going to the Pelicans. And I'm a little bit upset that I didn't get on the ball to this. I think I might have said it in a podcast, but I've always seen Dyson as someone who's going to climb up on the board. I've seen him as high as six now, and I do really like the fit in Indiana with him. They don't have him going here, of course, but Dyson Daniels at six is not crazy to think about very good ball handler defensively there's a lot to grow with there needs to improve as a shooter but you can see kind of the archetype and the mold that he would develop and it's one that really is carried over well to the NBA ranks they have him going eight and they have Shaden Sharp going 10th to the Washington Wizards he was viewed as a top five prospect basically this entire process and at OKC went to four there was real talks that they would take sharp over Jade and Ivy now that's nothing more than just the good old mock drafts you'd see but again looking at fit sharp at 6-6 is a bit more of an interchangeable piece than Ivy because sharp might be able to help you at the three a little bit or cushion you at the three whereas Ivy I'm not sure if he necessarily would The thing with Sharp, though, is teams apparently have been afraid because he has not played really basketball in like a year. You know, he unenrolled from prep school back in October. He's been training. He was with Kentucky, but he didn't step on the court for a game, kind of just practicing, going through the motions. Skill set is there on the tape, but is that going to be able to tap into the next rank of you know, teams. Athletically, he's insanely gifted, but he wasn't the greatest shot creator. I'm not as sold on him. Like, I think if Jalen Green didn't play for the Ignite last year and he didn't play basketball at all, I would have viewed him as a top three prospect regardless because his step back looked lethal. He was a three-level scorer, like dominant scorer, and he could really turn anything into a good-looking possession. Just a great on-ball creator. 
Shaden Sharp is not at that stage yet. And even though he did show some signs, it's not enough to solidify that on a scouting report. So I think just the enigma that he brings might be tearing him down. And maybe there's a team in the top eight, top six that really does like Shaden and they're just trying to throw some sort of smoke screen to get you know teams off their game going into draft night. Those are the main takeaways. When you look later in the board, OKC is mocked to take Jalen Duran, so they're doubling up on bigs at pick 30. They took Blake Wesley from Notre Dame, and at 34, you have them taking Christian Coloco. Going to ESPN's report, this was from Jonathan Giovanni. Shout out to Mike Schmitz, by the way, for his promotion. His story's crazy. Getting out of Arizona, working, I think, with with the Bakersfield Jam as a video coordinator, and then progressed into his Draft Express role, got with ESPN, and now should be the assistant GM at the Portland Trailblazers in a month's time. So that's a big story for him. Big ray of light for any at-home scouts right now, but... It's good to see him, pro, uh, you know, getting some progress. And for Jonathan Giovanni, he also was on the Draft Express crew. It's good to see him still in his position, turning out some mock drafts. And the real quote you got from this one, not as much meat and bones as the Bleacher Report article, but Giovanni did say the Thunder do as good of a job as any team at keeping their intentions hidden. And they are doing their homework with a pool that includes Holmgren, Vancaro, Ivy, and Sharp. I don't know if that's really anything you want to put on a headline because they should be doing that. History does tell you they like to keep things in secret. But I think it does help in knowing that they're kind of keeping that draft board bigger. And because they have the 12th pick, I'm sure they're scouting 1 through 20 pretty heavily to see if there's any gems that they could snag at 12 or if there's anyone they'd like to maybe trade up for a couple picks to select it like eight or nine depending on how things would end up shaking out in this draft class espn had holmgren going number two uzman dang going at 12 that's one that we've seen commonly in the last two weeks or so blake wesley just as bleacher report did has him landing at OKC at pick number 30. And 34 has them taking on Baylor forward Kendall Brown. When I look at these mocks, the big thing is, I guess, the doubling up on centers. Does Holmgren coexist with Duran on your traditional team? Because of that, Chet would have to play the four spot for you. I don't necessarily like the fit. I don't even know if I love the fit immediately for Duran on OKC. Now, the thing is, Duran is crazy good and the athletic ability shines through. There's potential as well. He's one of the youngest players in this draft class and he already has this sort of physical package. But he can't shoot the ball. He didn't show many signs of it at the foul line. If he doesn't develop that part of his game... He still is going to be lethal rolling to the basket, but it allows so many more opportunities for defenses. And for OKC, a team that has desperately tried spacing out the floor for two years plus, I think they'd want to have a shooting center moving forward. If not, 
I'm pretty convinced Moses Brown would still be on this team. I think they would have viewed him a lot higher in the long term had they not had some priority on being able to stretch the court. I think that's why we've seen guys like Muscala, JRE, Roby get those reps at the center because they want to see how the offense works when it's a high ball screen and your center's fading to the top of the key. It's opened up opportunities and defenses have just completely dropped on JRE and Roby. You put Holmgren in that spot, I think it's a lot different and the dynamics shift in your offense. Duran doesn't do that. I don't think he pushes the envelope there. He'll set you the screen. If he's fading to the three though, you'd be foolish to even contest the man. Let him take that three-point shot and you live and die with that result every time. That's my one caveat with Duran. And I think if you add both of them together, it still is kind of that same issue where someone's, you know, not going to be able to space the floor or sit in the corner. The one silver lining is Holmgren has shown to be a good catch-and-shoot piece. So you could still have those two together. It's just, if you're looking to revolutionize the offense and kind of get on par with like these five-out offenses, space and pace, Duran, he'll do it in maybe a fast-break setting, but not so much in the half court. And that's my one little pointer I have on that. I really like Christian Coloco. If you're going to take another center, Coloco's the guy. And nothing against Wasserman because he does a really good job, but... I think the likelihood of OKC not only double dipping in the lottery on centers, but then picking Coloco in the second round is like slim to none. I don't think you take three centers in this class. I think OKC might take two, but the more likely outcome is Holmgren at two and Coloco at pick 30 or 34 for me. And I'm really high on Coloco. I have a first round grade on a first round grade on him. His shot blocking ability is really the drawing factor for him. Age 21, so he's a bit older, but very lengthy. Seven foot one, and I think you plug him in, he's going to be able to produce. Now, I'll be pulling up the numbers here in in one second on Coloco, but from what I saw, you're going to see him be able to play right under the basket and yield you some pretty solid stats. And. At the collegiate level, he did just that. He was the Pac-12 most improved player this year, and he was also on the all-Pac-12 team. Pac-12 defensive player of the year as well is sort of the icing on the cake, but he averaged 12.6 points, 7.3 rebounds, and 2.8 blocks per game. Averaged 2.8 personal fouls, so that's the one kind of shaky part with him, but... I do like him as a rim protector, and the value you'd get in the second round, I think, makes it worth it to at least take a look at him. He shot 18 of 25 on standstill threes at the Combine. OKC would need to verify that that shot is legit, uh, I think, to select him. One good indicator, though, would be that he shot 73.5% from the foul line this year. Before that, he shot 62%, and as a freshman... He shot 35% of the line. It was 7 of 20 overall, though, so I don't know if that's really a good enough like basis to go off of. Might not be the sample size you're necessarily looking for. Anyways, that's the one good takeaway I really enjoyed from seeing those mock drafts. Some interesting prospects I'd want to keep my name on. 
Jaden Hardy from the G League Ignite might not be the best fit for the Thunder, but the skill set is there. ESPN had him mocked at 22. Bleach Report had him going at 33, so OKC would have had an opportunity to take him. Number two ranked prospect last year coming out of high school. Had a solid season with the Ignite in terms of efficiency. Wasn't necessarily all there. Nice little step back jumper in his arsenal. I think if you look at a shot creator, potential microwave, Hardy checks the boxes. No way he should be sliding into the second round, even if he doesn't pan out as a player. Patrick Baldwin has been free-falling on mock drafts. I thought he was a mid-first rounder. Fell apart in the combine, and looks like the trend is no one's looking to touch Baldwin right now. Projected 36th on ESPN and 26th on Bleacher Report. Leonard Miller, much the same story where he had first-round aspirations, not a great combine. Now he's viewed as a second-round caliber player. He's actually making his decision on if he's staying in this draft, going to the Ignite, or going to college in just about an hour here. So as the time I upload this, he very well could be off the board. But he's projected to go 41 on ESPN and 43 on Bleacher Report. The biggest one that shocked me was Colorado forward Jabari Walker. And I did a story on him on Sports Illustrated last week. I might do a full-on piece on him as we near draft day on the pod. Basically, what you need to know, he's a 6'8 forward, 19 years old with a 7-foot wingspan. Defensively, looked very good defending 2-4. through four. Nice shooter from downtown as well. Jumper could be a bit faster. In terms of lateral quickness, could be a bit faster as an athlete. When he absorbs contact at the basket, normally stalls his airtime. But for the most part, he has a very good mold to build off of if you're looking for a defensive-minded three. OKC could use this. I think a lot of teams could use this. Based on recency bias, we've seen a player similar to him in Herb Jones yield a ton of success with the Pelicans this year. I don't think he would be guaranteed to have as impactful as a year, of course. But at 19, you can tell there's a lot of movement in the growth plates for him. And he's committed to staying in this draft. He's projected to go undrafted on ESPN. And he's projected to go 60th on Bleacher Report, which is basically pick 58 because the uh, 57th and 58th pick would be voided. I don't think that's going to happen. I'd almost argue there's a higher likelihood Walker's a first-round pick than he is an undrafted pick because scouts aren't following consensus boards. They're looking at what the team needs, and they're looking at overall skill set. Walker has the skill set that translates to the next level, and I know he might be a player that you would need some time to kind of build on that might be through the G League, for example, but... If you want to get a key fixture for your bench, I think Walker is a nice player to roll the dice on. And for Bricktown, with picks 30 and 34, might want to give him a look. It would be a reach based on the consensus, but honestly, I do not care about what the consensus says come the second round. You pick who you want, and you roll with it. Anyways, though, that wraps things up in terms of what we heard in this week's rumor mill. If there's anything else that pops up, I'll make sure to let you all know. 
Want to wrap up the pod, though, breaking down the finals. Finals start on Thursday, starting in San Francisco. Golden State going up against the Boston Celtics. Golden State has been in the finals six times out of the last eight years. And for Boston, they've been on a bit of a dry spell. Last time they went to the championship, they fell short in seven games to the LA Lakers. But they get their shot now to pick up another ring. LA's gotten one more ring since that 2010 date, and I think the title race is officially tied. So Boston can elevate themselves yet again with a finals victory here. And for Thunder fans, you could have a team to root for in Boston. Now, there's already the basis of, you know, that vendetta. Fans don't like the Warriors, if you're a Thunder fan, because of all the past history, Golden State you know, coming back from 3-1, KD leaving. It's not all sunshine and rainbows there. Me personally, I view the playoffs and I just, I watch the playoffs to kind of see just greatness. You know what I mean? I, I don't have teams that I necessarily root for. I just like evaluating teams and kind of respecting and, and trying to find the areas where they can improve. In terms of, you know, this year, you've seen, the Warriors just play beautiful basketball from three. Clay, he's been right on the money. Steph is playing like Steph. Jordan Poole making his arrival. And how about Andrew Wiggins playing? I don't know if he's playing up to his all-star starting level, but he's definitely playing like an all-star. One of the MVPs from their um, Western Conference Finals series. As for the Celtics, you've had a lot of core members kind of wheel them it looked bad. I'm not going to lie. In game seven, I thought that the Heat were going to come back because they had done it like past two games. Would have just been the the craziest thing. And Jimmy Butler was so close to making it happen. I think if he hit that three, Boston just wouldn't have had the response based on how they closed the game. It was atrocious to give up like 11 consecutive points. I think it was 13 in a row at some segment, but they're able to get it out. And for the Thunder fans, that means you have someone to root for in Al Horford. He's been playing crazy amounts of minutes over this playoff stretch, averaging 34.6 minutes per game at 35 years old. That's ridiculous. And he should have four to seven more games left in the tank. For Thunder fans, probably want to be rooting for him. I already talked about the history, uh, you know, briefly in this episode, but he came over basically as a dump off, second rehab project behind Chris Paul, Presti, Dagnall, and everybody bolstered his stock back up, and they flipped him again in order to get a package revolving around the number sixteen pick, turned into Sangoon, that turned into two future first round picks. So, big time success for OKC, um, you know, in their one year of having Horford. Now he's with the Celtics for his second run, and he's in his first NBA Finals starting on Thursday. OKC has had nine former players in the NBA Finals since the 2011-2012 season. Or I'll rephrase. They've had nine NBA champions that used to be on the Thunder since 2011-2012. And started out with Norris Cole, Kind of worked his way um, up, but 
Eight out of the last 10 champs have had a former Thunder member on it. This could make it 9 out of 11. Also could make it 8 out of 11 because the Warriors do not have Kevin Durant or Sean Livingston anymore. For added incentive, if the Celtics win, not only does Horford get a title, but Ennis Cantor gets a title, and so does Dennis Schroeder as well. So that gives you three potential guys who could be picking up hardware that originated from some Bricktown roots. So I'll keep you all posted on the NBA Finals. I'll be keeping you posted on draft coverage as well. About three weeks away from the big night. Do not want to miss out on that, and you do not want to miss the coverage either. Anyways, though, guys, that is going to wrap things up for today's podcast. If you guys want to chat with me on draft prospects, any questions you might have or article ideas, make sure to hit me up at Ben Kreider, or you can go directly to the pod. That's at Thunderstick Pod. Other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.